This episode is brought to you by Wild, the UK's number one natural deodorant company that focuses on performance, sustainability and style. Utilising the power of nature, they've created an effective, long-lasting deodorant that is free of aluminium and parabens, whilst also being cruelty-free and vegan. At the start of lockdown, Lauren told me she stopped wearing deodorant and wanted to find a natural deo for her bio. And we've both been using Wild for about nine months now and can confirm that their natural eco-friendly deodorants not only smell heavenly, but genuinely work. It's a solid reco. And it's such a genius concept to reduce plastic in your everyday routine, because once you've ordered your aluminium case, your refills are delivered straight to your door in biodegradable and recyclable packaging. It's super convenient. There's a flexible subscription option, or you can purchase as one-offs and you can fully customize your order selecting the scents you love. I'm currently using jasmine and mandarin blossom, which smells so fresh and floral. And just in time for the summer holidays, they've also released a mini deodorant about the size of a chapstick, which will be perfect for traveling. So say goodbye to the days of throwaway bathroom products and invite some natural and sustainable solutions into your everyday routine. Head on over to wearewild.com and use code BOOKS for 15% off at checkout. That's wearewild.com and use code BOOKS. For every deodorant they sell, they will contribute a percentage of sales to climate charity on a mission to support their incredible reforestation projects. Thank you, Wild. Welcome to Book Recos Between the Pages. I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren. And we're the pals behind Book Recos. This is the podcast where we chat all things books and just about everything in between. Last year on International Women's Day, we read Stronger by Porna Bell. It's now out in paperback and we are interviewing Porna today. Stronger will reframe everything you think about women's strength and we have not stopped talking about this book since reading it last year. Welcome, Porna. Thank you so much for giving us your time today and for having and for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been long overdue, I think. Right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, all busy yeah. women. Fine. Yeah. Um, but it does feel really special for us because uh, for anyone that doesn't know, we read Stronger um, a year ago. Now we read it for International Women's Day last year, and we've been completely obsessed with it ever since. We reco it to <laughs> yeah. everybody who will listen. Um, and now it's just come out in paperback, so it's actually all worked out perfectly has, yeah. that we are now talking to you about it. Thank you. So before we get started, Bruna, can you begin by telling us in your own words a little bit about Stronger? Yeah, um, Stronger is, uh, some people hate this phrase, but it's, I feel it's an accurate description of it, where it's a part memoir, part manifesto, and the reason why I've chosen those words is because it is partly about my own experience, but it's also, um, you know, there are interviews with over 50 people in this book. Um, there's a lot of sort of data that I um, took a look at. And the idea is that it is putting forward how we can either change 
uh, fairly self-defeating narratives that some of us might have around mm -hmm. physical activity and movement. Um, but it's also putting forward the premise that if we're able to do that and overcome some of the things that are absolutely not our fault, um, you know, in, in terms of so societal conditioning and the way that we've been brought up, um, which I think have placed quite big limitations on how we think about things like our own confidence, yeah. how comfortable we feel in our own bodies. And actually to say that it's this isn't a fitness book, it's actually a book to see how all of these things are joined up and how they have ramifications in so many other areas of your life. You know, first yeah. and foremost for me, one of those being like even how you feel about yourself in the workplace and the spaces that you have to navigate within that because for me that that absolutely once I tackled that myself that was the biggest and most immediate thing that I saw had changed totally and I, I think you're so right it's not it's not a fitness book you might think it's a fitness book because you know it's called stronger but it's so much more than that and what I love most about it is there is literally a space for everybody in it whether you're a trans non-binary queer any age any size race gender there is a space for everybody in the book to feel seen and I read this as a cisgendered white woman but I do think that your approach to ensuring that all women felt feel represented not just you know you've got one chapter to cover this experience and one chapter to cover another experience you cover lots of different experiences within every chapter and with every topic so it really flows nicely throughout the book and I mean just complete awe and appreciation for how you managed to do that so authentically so with that in mind what was the genesis for why you started this book the genesis was actually it, it with very often as is the way it was just a very casual conversation um with uh, my editor about it and um you know, I, I was just talking about my own journey, which was around taking up competitive weightlifting in my late 30s. And we were just having this conversation about how it had just changed my life and, and in a really good and positive way, but also how I really had wished that I'd known all of this stuff a lot sooner. And tied into that, I had written a couple of articles about it. Um, and what was interesting was that the people that I wrote these features for kind of give, gave me free reign um, how I wanted mm. to write it. But they said, look, you know, um, articles that are kind of connected to things like fitness or physical movement, they don't really do well on the site, but let's see how they go. And then for both of these places, um, they ended up like being two of like the, the sort of the most read articles for that yeah. month. Because it wasn't actually about fitness. It was actually about how you feel about yourself as a person and also identifying um, how you've been made to feel about yourself. Yeah. So, And these are very universal things, no matter what intersection or intersections you identify with. So it, it literally began from, from that in terms of um, I didn't want to write a book just about my, my own experience because, you know, there's also... Um, a hell of a lot of privilege that I carry, you know, around, for example, things like my own body size and so on. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, it Stronger wasn't supposed to be written the way it actually ended up becoming. Oh, because, yeah, because, um, you know, pre-pandemic, which is when we... Um, 
signed the contract for this book, I had actually identified places that I was I was actually going to physically visit. Uh, and these were kind of grassroots community projects that had, um, so whether it was around, around football or hockey or whatever it was, and to actually see how they... Um, how that sport had changed the lives of like, whether it was young girls yeah. or women and so on. And obviously we then had a whole pandemic and that was just <laughs> not possible. And I was like, Ugh. so, so this is literally like two years ago, I was sat, you know, in my living room thinking, um, what am I going to do here? Because it's just not going to be possible. Were you and writing this in the pandemic? I was. Yeah. yeah and, okay. and I think also when I wrote this book, um, which is prefaced in the in the new intro, which is in the paperback, which isn't in okay. the hardback, is that I wrote this book when when I had long COVID. So I wrote this book when I felt like at my least God. strong physically, which I think at the time, I don't really think I acknowledged what was yeah. happening because my kind of <laughs> my approach to like most things when they happen is just to sort of just try and just keep plodding along and mm. see what happens. Yeah. But now that I'm like fully recovered and I look at it in, in retrospect, in retrospect, without sort of, you know, this being the world's biggest humble brag, I am like, I don't know how I actually managed to yeah. write a book with yeah. like a quarter of the energy that I currently have. And also writing a book about feeling your strong yeah. yourself. No well, less. That's it, the, ir- the irony of writing a book about feeling mentally, physically strong whilst you're feeling the total opposite and I imagine at the time as well like we didn't really have a lot of research around COVID and long COVID at the time so you're feeling really shit and you're like is this is this to do with that or is it you know must have just been really confusing um I mean it was it was terrible because I didn't know if I'd had COVID. So um, Um, you weren't allowed to get tested unless you were ill enough to have to be admitted into hospital. So what was happening was I was trying to figure out what was going on, like literally in my living room with no, no data, no information. And then retrospectively, like then figuring out because I had antibodies, you know, we're talking about like three, four months after the fact. Um, So the whole thing was extremely destabilizing. But having said that, um, while I really sincerely wish I had not got long COVID at that time, I don't think the book would be what it is without that, because it made me have to really recalibrate um, the very definition of of what yeah. I previously thought, you know, strength was, and so, and that really is the backbone of <laughs> of the whole book, and yeah. all of those people from all of those intersections that I interviewed for that book um, taught me a lot when I was yeah. when I was interviewing them. I don't know if they realised how much of a comfort they were during that time. Oh, that's lovely, <laughs> and so nice that you could. As it not that you had long COVID, but like yeah. now that you can look back on it and yeah. you really appreciate, appreciate what yeah. happened at the time. Were you missing the way you talk about um, all the lifting that you do, which I love to see on your Instagram? Were you really missing it, and so writing about it kind of filled that void for you, or were you just too tired and COVID? It was. I think if I remember what that time was like, the thing that was so scary about it was I didn't know if I would recover. So I didn't know yeah. if this was going to be a chronic illness that I would have forever and ever or that it would dissipate of its own accord and so there was a really deep piece of soul searching work to be honest I actually started to see a sports psychologist because I I felt very unmoored by the whole thing because 
um, because the prospect that you might not be able to do something that has been such a fundamental yeah. part of your life and to reconcile that um, was was really really tough Heartbreaking, but, isn't it? It, it was but also having said that again another fundamental piece came out of that which was what one of the things she made me do was to have to look at things that make make up who I am as a person and the things that yeah. make me strong as a person and weight training is a part of that it's not yeah. the entirety of that so yeah yeah, yeah. wow didn't know any of this this is so fascinating <laughs> Um, I wanted to talk a bit about gender stereotypes, which is constantly talked about in the book as well. Um, as Lauren mentioned, this book is just as relevant for men as it is women. And the book I had read just before your one was The Gender Games by Juno Dawson, which is about her transition from James to Juno and about gender as a whole as well. And so when she was James, she felt like she had to be a really bulky man to be a man. And when she transitioned, she was like, God, I need to lose these shoulders. Like I need to be tiny because that's what a woman should be. And I so I just read all of that. And then I read your one. I was like, oh, my God, I just feel so empowered to constantly talk about this topic with anyone that will listen. Um, And you I mean, you can tell that you've just done a huge huge amount of research to write this book interviewing men and women and lots of different people and um in your chapter Jim's are you okay hun it's it's not new information that women feel intimidated (laughs) going to Jim's actually many of the men you interviewed um expressed very similar feelings and so we wondered if you could share with us a little bit about what you uncovered in the process and what advice you'd give to maybe some of our listeners who feel a bit put off going to the gym for this very reason yes so um kind of working working backwards maybe is that I don't the reason why I wrote that chapter is um because I don't think that commercial gyms let's say which is the 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 most accessible type of gym that a person would go to yeah I don't feel like they are very well set up to be inclusive of people who want to train or work out there but also I don't feel that the messaging that they put across um, is a particularly helpful one and actually supports some pretty damaging stereotypes around you know the thing that's mentioned in that chapter which is what Michelle Elman um, says which is that health is not an appearance it just isn't you Mm -hmm. cannot tell you cannot tell someone's health just by looking at their body And um, and so I would say that if someone feels like that about a gym, it's not because you're being lazy and it's not because, you know, you're not being brave enough. Um, it's because then they're, they're just not set up to um, to feel like particularly great spaces. There are obviously the huge caveat is that there are some amazing spaces out there, but they just take digging out a bit. Yeah. And I would say that for people looking for a place anywhere that like encourages and fosters and has a sense of community or seems to be active in their community will always be a place that will be good to go to. That would just be my my advice. Um, like especially like you know small businesses. However. Um, it wasn't news to me that men feel um, intimidated in, you know, gyms. That was something that anecdotally I'd, I'd already known from speaking uh, to the men in my life around it. And to be honest, I didn't do a huge amount of research into how men feel about gyms because that wasn't really the focus of it. But what that chapter did reveal to me was that um, 
while women obviously you know of course we feel intimidated in gyms it, again it fosters this like you know kind of atmosphere where we feel like we don't belong in the weight space where yeah. we're approached by men in there or we're mansplained in there and and I 100% get that but I feel like those really rigid guidelines around gender don't serve anyone mm-hmm. and I think that um, one of the things that I sort of mentioned in there which was you know my issue with women only gyms which I totally understand that they're they're much they're very much needed and they are good spaces particularly for people that have experienced like any type of like sexual trauma for example and just don't want to be in those kind of spaces with men but I can't go to women only gyms I feel very very uncomfortable in them and you know I'm a cisgender woman and so it's just to say that I don't think that necessarily it's not kind of um, these sort of spaces there needs to be number one I think a wider variety of them because we all don't feel the same way we don't all have the same experiences you know Um, and sorry I should probably explain that the reason why I don't feel particularly comfortable in women only gyms is because it reminds me of being at school and I hated sport and I hated activity at school and so for me that does not feel like an empowering place at all I'm not yeah, I'm not saying that mixed gender gyms, I'm like, woo, this, this is amazing. <laughs> but but it's worth saying that, you know, we need kind of spaces to, to accommodate different types of people. Um, I hope that that answered your question. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I, <laughs> yeah. and I remember thinking at the time you and I had a discussion, like, it is quite bizarre how when you are at school, you, you know, you're, we both went to a mixed school and, you know, you're mixed you know you have mixed gender lessons for every lesson apart from PE and it's like no actually when we get to this stage like men and women have to be separate and on sometimes I do understand why that is more appropriate but what I don't understand and I think you bring this up in the book as well if I remember correctly is how like why do men why do the boys get taught football and rugby and the girls get taught very different like trampolining and gymnastics and it becomes you're you're right they become very different spaces and when you think back to that you know all women experience of gyms it was (laughs) I wouldn't want to go back there quite quite (laughs) frankly um but you just digging into that a little bit further then so you you um you sort of look into how gyms can become like quite toxic spaces when they're so heavily associated with weight loss. Um, And I loved the part where you say like, you just want to speak to somebody in the marketing department at these gyms to be like, wow, guys, you've got it all wrong. You're actually putting a lot of people up. You're setting a lot of people up for failure by heavily promoting this aspect of going to the gym instead of focusing on, you know, the huge amount of mental health benefits that can come with moving your body. Um, But can you speak a little bit about how your own journey through strength training has helped to impact your own mental wellness journey? I didn't go into strength training, to be honest, initially with the goal of mental wellness. Um, And actually, the survey that I ran um, ahead of writing the book um, sort of mirrors that because a lot of, um, you know, I think it was like 60% or 70% of women said that they initially started training for weight loss purposes. But then once they were actually there, the biggest impact that, or the yeah. thing that kind of kept them there was the impact that it had on their mental well being. So, um, and, I, and I kind of definitely, um, that definitely resonates with me. 
I would say with strength training, what it did, which was very unexpected, was that it, number one, it provides me a safe and controlled space to practice failure, which is essentially what a lot of other sports and activities do, right? Which I feel like, you know, when we become adults and as you get older, you know, the idea of voluntarily doing something um, where you're going to fail at it just seems so counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's it's just, you know, a very good lesson for life. And you're able to do it, you know, in a, in a sort of fairly structured way. Um, but at the same time as figuring all of that stuff out, and that I find from like a cognitive level is just really helpful. But week on week, um, if you follow, let's say, you know, you do a, a, a program the right way, which is progressive overload, is that week on week you'll get stronger or you'll develop like whether that's like the actual, you know, amount that you can lift or carry or the number of reps that let's mm-hmm. say you can do. Um, and because you can see yourself being able to do more, it actually in a way <laughs> overturns this idea that we have that either like we're not really good at something because if you can see yourself physically improve, that's like, that's evidence that no one can really take yeah. away from you and sort of o- overturns, you know, that, that kind of negative voice that a lot of us have that we might just not be very good at things. But also I think, you know, definitely strength training for me, when I saw myself get physically stronger and be able to kind of lift weights that I would have thought were like laughable, you know, when I think about when I started training and the weights that I just thought oh my god I can't possibly do that and now that's like a warm-up weight for me it it just I think it's not even so much about the actual weight like that's actually got nothing to do with it it just shows how far you can you you've come with something if you apply yourself and if you think you are worth the time and effort and that's that's what that lesson has been to me but also just even being able, I would say, to be or feel like strong within myself is something that it, I mean, it's, it wasn't so great when I wasn't well, because I, I definitely didn't feel like this, unfortunately, physically. But when I am feeling physically well within myself, um, it is something that just gives me a sense of confidence and allows me to just take up the space that is is mine and not shrink and not feel yeah. like I have to kind of move around people in a way that um, it affects everything. It affects how people talk to me. It affects how people move around me. And um, I don't think I could go back to the way that it was before where I was just shrinking to just take up as little space as possible. I love that. And as, you know, as women, we're very rarely told to take up space. Mm. So approaching it from that perspective is really refreshing and I also love what you said around failure because you're right it's one of those sports where you have to fail to be able to progress and when you think of it from that mindset that again is so liberating because we're not told you know we're not really trained to be comfortable with failure but when you're on a journey where actually no if you want to get better you have to fail to be able to progress like that just from a you know a psychological perspective is really quite special yeah I love that you just cover so much in this book which we've already touched on uh, quite a bit but you know you speak about depression addiction grief the menopause role models and all of it is just so thought-provoking and we're 
dying to know if there was a favorite chapter you had that you wrote um I would say that there are two um okay so the first (laughs) and funnily enough they sit at like um different ends of the spectrum in terms of um the wheel of life um so the first I would say is the death to death to gym knickers uh chapter (laughs) yeah I can't believe you had to wear gym knickers oh honestly they were disgusting (laughs) I mean it's it's something that my school friends and I still talk about to this day you know um so you so (laughs) the shadow of them is not yeah I know um yeah so I think that that particular chapter was really really important and cathartic to write because it basically unpicks where it all went wrong and where it all went wrong was in secondary school because um that is where uh, you know the idea of uh, different sports for girls and different yeah. sports mm-hmm. for boys and also because I had just come over so I'd spent five years um, of my childhood in India with my family and I'd just come over and I couldn't work out well firstly I didn't know what rounders was I didn't know why we were playing that and not baseball I couldn't work out why we were playing netball and not basketball and then I just thought this is just really weird like we seem to have this like odd collection of sports yeah. that seem to have kind of been adjusted uh for women and I don't know that I see boys playing netball but maybe they do or maybe they did uh, at the time but I just don't think that they did I think that they were definitely playing football yeah so um so that was important to write because I I kind of felt like very selfishly like I was writing that for my younger self and and it was important to put that out there but also that is a chapter that I get emailed or dm'd about a lot of people just um having to acknowledge how bad that time was also because um something that I found out in retrospect was you know in my head I I thought oh well the sporty girls had it all sorted and I've subsequently had messages from from women who were really good at sport who said actually even though they were good at sport they still had all of the same issues around body confidence self-esteem and so on which was fascinating Mm. um but the second chapter that kind of like is tired for first place with that um absolutely is the um is the strong has no age limit because I felt that it um it's something that I know that you both mentioned um in your in your (laughs) in your review about the book which was just so wonderful because I feel and I felt that it was so important to roadmap what that future looks like for us and you know, I still have like conversations with people where they refer to activities for older women as, you know, um, gentle walking and yoga. And I just think, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But it's absolutely ridiculous that that is the only thing that seems to be depicted and portrayed for older yeah. women, you know. So, yeah. So both of those chapters, I think, um, were my favorite to do. Love that. And yeah, I really did just feel excited reading it and especially that chapter I was like oh my gosh so I'm 27 I was like I might not have even found that thing that I love and can do and like so my mum she was doing a park run and like doing a bit of running and then in the pandemic really fell in love with running and so now she's 40 47 she's 20 yeah 20 years older than me and like runs every single day she's done marathons half marathons and it's just so exciting that you can live for 40 years and you still haven't found this sport that can just like you can completely fall in love with and be so good at and I Mm. and it's you know the first book that has actually made me excited to get older and 
have more experiences but at the moment I've, I've probably yeah. been, oh I've peaked but I so haven't like I haven't even got there yet and that's really exciting well I think it's exciting because we're not told by society yeah. or any of the media that we consume that that is possible and it's sort of been ingrained into many women young women's perspectives that the older you get the less value you have to society yeah. to actually read a perspective where it says bollocks to that actually who who's who's to say that the older you get you can't make your own rules and follow your own you know desires and passions and it life doesn't stop when you get older as a woman yeah that, I mean that that was um that was I think yeah it maybe it would actually be my favorite chapter uh it's gonna it's nudged up to to the top spot after what you've both just said because also I feel like the the amazing thing about that entire demographic that's featured in there which uh, which is several dem- demographics mm. within itself because you know the really important distinction it makes is that everyone you know over the age of 40 is lumped into this yeah. humongous yeah. category of older women <laughs> yeah. which is just mad because you know a woman in her 40s is not going to um have necessarily a huge amount in common with someone who is in their 70s you know but the one thing I do love about that and that definitely ties into you know um like communities that you see on TikTok or Instagram or whatever is that the power that is to be had in specifically like looking at those demographics is that relinquishing the idea that you have to be validated by society because Mm -hmm. I think once you hit that age and you realize that actually society doesn't give a toss about you in terms of (laughs) how it visibility in terms of like yeah exactly those things around like how it values you um I think that it allows you to rewrite your own path and and a lot of women are starting to do that or who have already done that Um, And it's actually quite a liberating space to be because um, I've definitely felt um, defined and held back by whether it is, you know, the the size of what my body should be, like how it should look like, like how feminine it should be and so on. And I think the older you get, you just realize none of that like really helps you with anything. Like it doesn't really add any value to your life. So why (laughs) you don't, you don't need it. No, exactly. Um, One of my favorite chapters I can't remember what it was called, but you went into just educating around periods, um, which is a topic that I'm really getting into at the moment, much to Jess's dismay, because I just keep, keep talking <laughs> to her about it. But I'm reading a lot around the pill and and periods in particular, um, really because, quite frankly, I don't know enough about my own period. And I like the education we got on it at school was pretty dismal. Um, And I think I was only 27 when I found out that there are four phases to the menstrual cycle. Previous to that, I just thought the menstrual cycle was when you got a bleed and that was it. Um, So there was so much uh, research that you shared in that uh, in that chapter that I just found so interesting. And particularly around like how each phase of a women's cycle can um, change their energetic levels. And actually, it is, if we can just understand or educate ourselves on what those phases are and how that might change our energy levels, we can become much more mindful around how we move our body and just the internal language we have with ourselves. For me, for example, when I'm, I can now say, okay, well, I'm in this phase. So it's all right if I don't have any energy to work out today 
but I had loads yesterday and I'm a bit more kinder to myself because of that. And so are there any like sort of learnings that you found on that where on in that research process that would be helpful to anybody listening? Um, I would say that understanding the different stages of your cycle and um, and, and how they impact um, things like your energy levels, you know, what what's actually happening backstage in your body yeah. when when you're going through those different phases can be enormously helpful and, and actually necessary. And added to the list of uh, yet again, mind boggling things we weren't taught at school. Like we were not taught in, in for, for my generation anyway, we were not even taught about it beyond literally, I think one lesson in biology, which shows, you know, what happens in, you know, the, the like the fallopian tubes. So it's just, yeah, it was um, just, it was just an image, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. And the uterine lining anyway. So basically, yeah, like all of those things, but like no one, no one actually ever broke that down. And so there are definitely, I would say, things like, you know, period apps can really help um, alongside um, training or, or working that stuff out for yourself. Also, I feel like, you know, when you combine that with the fact that most of us, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's just in our general day to day lives, it blows my mind that women who um, or other people who experience, you know, a period are basically just expected to have this like change that's going on in their body that affects so many things from their energy levels to, um, you know, their moods and so on. And are just expected to just carry on like as men do. And for that, not to, not to even be something that like ripples on the surface. (laughs) And so I feel like there's this real movement at the moment of just reclaiming that and being Mm -hmm. honest and open about it and direct and I really love that because I think that that's really, really necessary. And um, and it, it, in retrospect, it is really upsetting that so many of us have had to kind of almost do this like double act of pretending that everything is OK when yeah. inside there's all this stuff going on. What I would say, the thing with the, the thing that I wish the chapter had been able to expand more on, but, you know, you just have to uh, because of the editing process, yeah. it wasn't possible is um you know, there are people, for example, who are going through endometriosis or people who go through just extremely, extremely heavy periods that can be absolutely debilitating that I wish I had been able to do more research around and more, you know, in-depth discussion around. Um, But I would say if anyone could do that, that would be extremely helpful to people that do go through that because, you know, periods aren't one size fits all. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I actually have a friend who uh, tracks her cycle and, she recognized that there's a phase in her cycle where she struggles to like form sentences and and speak um cohesively if that makes sense and (laughs) if that's cohesive (laughs) that's cohesive and she had a job interview during that phase so it was like a week out and the interviewer was like okay can we do next Wednesday and she looked at and she realized like oh it's going to fall in that phase so she said no and she said can we actually do it you know three days later she didn't go into the detail um but just knowing that she pushed it back three days later and it gave herself one less thing to have to worry about for that interview. And even if it was just psychosomatic and she went in feeling that a little bit more prepared, uh, she got the job. So congrats to her. Um, So moving on then um, into another 
sort of area that you explore. So I'm not a mother, but I would urge anybody who um, is to read your book, just because I, I do think it will open many people's eyes to the uncon- unconscious ways that societally we have been programmed, which we touched on a little bit around how we should quote unquote should feel around our bodies and also the lessons that we should start teaching and conversations we should start to have with raising young girls um but there was a quote actually that really struck with me um where you say I think it's on page 248 or 249 you say the problem isn't that you aren't strong enough or your body isn't what it was before with every passing minute biology and time dictate that the body moves further and further away from what it has been that isn't what holds you back what limits you is the societal narrative telling you that your body's destiny is giving birth and now that it's fulfilled that it doesn't need love worship or strength and I just like I would love every mother to be able to read that because it gave me goosebumps reading it because um, for so many reasons, I think it is just what we are taught. And, you know, now you've had a baby, you know, your body isn't worthy of what it was or the ways you used to look after it beforehand. And I think a lot of mothers can fall out of their relationship with their bodies and exercise after pregnancy for a whole load of reasons um, but like I said at the beginning there is a space for everybody in this book and it's not just mothers but before we move on it, are there any sort of lasting messages you'd like to share that we've not touched on about Stronger yet? Um, do you mean about the motherhood chapter? or uh, About motherhood chapter yeah. but any other sort of audiences that you think maybe we have like, any other chapters we haven't touched on that could also you know, resonate with somebody? Um, I would say not, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, I would say that the book really is a starting point. Um, cause mm. I think that all of, all of these chapters in of themselves could be the starting point of a book that is entirely on them as a subject, you know, that should yeah. be written by other people. I would, I would hastily say, <laughs> uh, not, not myself. Um, and I think, you know, sort of just briefly touching upon what you said about the motherhood chapter because I was, I was really nervous about writing that part of it because I'm I'm not a mother and but I wanted to be able to give a voice yeah. to something that anecdotally I know that the mothers in my life have struggled with and um and that is a very emotional chapter because I can yeah. feel I can kind of like feel it rising up because I'm not a mother, but I am so angry on their behalf. Mm. Like I'm so angry that they go through this entire process, you know, um, of of pregnancy, and then you know, give birth to a child, and then what they are left with is this unbelievable message of that you now. Okay, cool. Now, 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 you need to get back to how you were. I just, it, it, honestly, when I think mm. of like how it has absolutely ravaged some of the people that I know in terms of their confidence their self-esteem there are almost no words for it well there are words for it they're now in that chapter of my my book but um but it is something that I I feel that there should be a book around that in terms Mm. of um physical fitness and training and mothers and um and doing it in a way that is is right for them and I just think that then that needs to be a much more everyday approach um, in fitness spaces, whether that's, you know, fitness studios or, yeah. or gyms. 
um, is is what I will say about that. No, and it's not just post-pregnancy yoga classes either, just like how we market, you know, walks and yoga classes to older women. There are so many other ways that we can, you know, postpartum women can move their bodies. Yeah, but also accepting that if they no longer can they then they then they can't so my sister um gave birth just at the beginning of the pandemic so it's been two years now my nephew just turned two two days ago and she still doesn't have mobility in her hips because she hasn't but she was was in the pandemic she wasn't able to see anyone and she's like keeps being re-referred to people and then it's like a six month way and so she hasn't actually been able to get back into exercise because oh you just you just gave birth and like they're so intent on looking after the baby and that no one looks after the mothers yeah. and sees to them. So I'm now booking her in with my physiotherapist and chiropractor whenever she's with me. So I'm like, just, just fix her a little bit. Like, let's let's see if we can get her moving along because it's just, they're just so ignored. And it's like mm. we push everyone to become a mother and then we don't help them when they're, when they're mothers. And it's just, mm. just bonkers and there's just so much judgment. And yeah, I'm so glad that there was a space for them in your book. And, and I know just like me, you're an auntie. And so it's really nice that you're able to, you know, acknowledge your sister in in a way. Yeah. I mean, also, I think, sorry, this has just popped into my head um, (laughs) because it's, I think in that same chapter from memory um, is obviously like talking about menopause and that being such a crucial thing for anyone of any age to know about and to be aware of, because that actually writing that chapter was the thing that taught me so much about that as a subject because I didn't Mm. know a huge amount about it I knew drips and drabs Mm. um but it has now meant that I feel so much more aware and awake around knowing what might be coming Mm -hmm, down the line um and that is getting better you know there are a lot of um incredible people out there who do podcasts who are writing books about menopause and so on but it is something that um I feel is incredibly important to to talk about that connection with movement and and whether it's perimenopause or menopause yeah yeah definitely okay what we would love to do is talk about your next book if that's okay (laughs) (laughs) so we saw that um in stylist earlier this month there was an extract um and your new book is fiction um so please can you tell everyone a little bit about it because we know it's not actually too far off that it's going to come out it's yeah it's coming out on the uh 7th of july it must be a bit of a head fuck for you actually (laughs) to talk about stronger when you're so in the weeds um yes and no because this was this I mean I I would say I wrote stronger in 2020 and then I wrote in case of emergency in 2021 so it was actually um as much as you know I love writing non-fiction it was really really lovely to just switch tracks and and move into fiction and for that to just be um you know a completely different medium to work in um but yes it's called in case of emergency it is commercial women's fiction um and it follows uh, a protagonist who is um in i would say just uh, slightly on the cusp of her late 30s and she basically you know this career career woman works in london and um she has a i don't know why i'm laughing i mean it's because it's 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 there's it's a comedic book like there are a lot of jokes yeah, in yeah. this book there is poignancy for sure 
but there are a lot of jokes but she basically has this like near-death experience where she falls into like the open doors of a beer cellar and um and ends up in hospital and basically when she wakes up like her emergency contact has been called and it's her ex-boyfriend who she really doesn't want to see and it prompts this whole like reckoning of oh god okay who actually is in my life have I nurtured the right relationships like did I focus on the right things and it's about how she kind of like recalibrates that and because a lot of the answers to how she is is rooted in you know when she was at school there's a lot of flashbacks to um the 90s so there's also a lot of 90s nostalgia yeah Um, so that in a nutshell is what the book is about. And um, I am incredibly, incredibly nervous about it because it's my debut uh, fiction. Um, and it is not the same as writing nonfiction at all. <laughs> no, I bet. It sounds amazing. Yeah, though. it does. Um, it really thank does. you. And we, we know how important pre-orders are for authors, but in case there's any listeners that don't, would you mind explaining why they're so important and how much they can help a book? Yes. So pre-orders basically indicate to, you know, let's say uh, places like Waterstones or um, Amazon or WH Smiths or independent bookshops, um, it indicates to them how important a book might be or how mm-hmm. much kind of resource that they want to give it when it comes to promoting it. So so if you pre-order the books, the, that creates like a little bit of noise around it. And then they go, oh, OK, you know, people seem to like really be excited about this book coming out. Maybe we will take it off the back shelf of where we were planning <laughs> to put it and put it on like, you know, a display table yeah, in the front yeah. or something like that. So it, that, it, that really, really helps um, authors. And I know in the past I've not understood how pre-orders no. work. But um, yes, yeah, so if you like an author and you want to support their work, pre-orders can definitely help. And it's a nice little surprise when it eventually does come out. Yeah, your... it's like a gift from your past self. Yes. It's obviously <laughs> it the best. It's a winner all around. Yes. So listeners, you need to go and read Stronger if you haven't already. Paperbacks yeah. out. You can also read the hardback. Yeah. And then you need to pre-order in case of emergency. <laughs> and I can't wait to read it. I'm so excited. Um, huge congratulations. I mean, I can't believe you published two books in pretty much two years I mean (laughs) you know it was a pandemic there was time (laughs) no there was nothing else to do yeah (laughs) um Paula it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast thank you so much we really do appreciate your time and for putting so much love and energy into Stronger and I'm sure into your next book as well um it's genuinely made such a positive impact on our lives and it's a as Jess said, a reco for everyone else to please go and read it if you haven't already. But before you go, this month we are celebrating Women's History Month by reading exclusively, um, well, books exclusively written by women. So are there any books or authors you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, um, I would say it has to be Luster by yes. uh, Raven Lilani. I, I love that book. I just, I think of it so often. <laughs> um, and I, I do need to like give it a, a good old reread. Um, but her book, uh, I absolutely love. I just can't wait for whatever it is that she's going to be writing next. Yeah, mm-hmm. it'll be a pre-order. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Paula. We really appreciate your, your time. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. We're giving you a chance to win a March Books That Matter box, which includes a paperback copy of Women in Salt by Gabriella Garcia and a gorgeous hardback notebook, some vegan treats and a beautifully scented box. 
There are two ways to enter. If, like me, you listen on Apple Podcasts, then subscribe, leave a rating and review, and use your Instagram handle as your nickname on the review. Or, if, like me, you listen on Spotify or anywhere else, then follow the podcast on that platform and share a screenshot on your Instagram story tagging at Book Records and Count Rentry that way. Entries for the March box close on Monday the 28th of March, and the winner will be announced on our Instagram on Wednesday the 30th of March. If you're listening to this at a later date, then don't worry, it's a monthly competition, so still enter and we'll count your entry towards whatever box it is at the time. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.